Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor. In today's episode, we're asking, can financial services ever be sustainable? From the carbon cost of everyday payment transactions, data services, plastic credit cards, and investments in polluting industries, not to mention international conferences that require some serious jet-setting, it's safe to say that our industry has never really looked to put its environmental impact front and centre. But with global temperatures rising and climates across the globe being altered by our own behaviour, can the financial services industry really afford to ignore sustainability any longer? Today, we've put together a panel of experts to discuss how sustainable is the financial services industry today? What are the biggest challenges in its way? And what do we hope to see in the future? We'll discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages. In today's volatile market, financial services companies that want to thrive must prioritise customer loyalty and engagement. Amplitude, the number one self-service digital analytics platform, helps teams identify key drivers of retention and opportunities for improvement. With Amplitude's insights, you can build your product to increase transactions, retain customers, and grow loyalty. To succeed in today's market, visit Amplitude.com. Hello and welcome, LFG people, to Fintech Insider. Blockchain Insider, 11FS Spotlight. 11FS Explores. Open mic night. After dark. Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters, and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more. Long live the community. Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of delightful and amazing guests who can shed some light on this crucial topic. First of all, we have a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Sarah Habib, Customer Strategist at 11FS. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. Can you give our new listeners a reminder of your role here at 11FS, please? Yes, I'd love to. Thank you for having me back. And hello, Ben. Um, I'm a customer strategist within the Ventures team at 11FS. That's where we apply jobs to be done theory through mixed methodology research to define and build the next generation of digital services. Thank you. And welcome back. And we also have a FinTech Insider debut for Ken Hart, Chief Executive and Founder of Snowdrop Solutions. Welcome to the show, Ken. Can you give uh, our listeners a little bit of an explanation about who you are and what Snowdrop Solutions does, please. Uh, certainly, and thank you for having me here. So Snowdrop Solutions is based in the UK. We're a company that works very closely with Google Maps and location services, and we do a lot of transaction enrichment around payment processing messages. So we've been working with dozens of banks for the last few years. We also work uh, very closely with customers in the travel, transportation, and real estate sector. And it's often interesting to see how services from one sector can be applied as a best practice into another on sustainability. Fantastic. Well, welcome. And thirdly, um, we are delighted to welcome Heidi Lindvall, general partner of Pale Blue Dot. It's great to have you here, Heidi. What can you tell our audience about uh, what you do and what Pale Blue Dot does, please? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, Pale Blue Dot is an early stage VC fund. 
We are an 87 million fund. We're based in Sweden, but we invest all around Europe and US. And we try to find early stage companies that are solving climate problems. So it's climate tech, uh, which is very wide, everything from food and agriculture to fintech infrastructure, transport, et cetera. And uh, we're, we're three years into the fund right now and have invested in about 23 companies so far. Well, thank you. And thank you all so much for joining. So let's dive in. And let's start by looking at how the industry is today and how, how we've got here. Um, Sarah, I think I'm going to throw the first question to you. When we, when we talk about sustainability, what do we really mean? Well, I think sustainability means a lot of different things, a lot of different people. But generally, what it means is, you know, doing what we're doing today to meet the current generations about compromising the needs of future generations. So making sure there's a balance between the future and now with economic growth and environmental care and social well-being. And when it comes to you know, the financial sector, it's about making sure that sustainability is, is financial services that are working towards making the planet better. So investments in anything supporting the environment, basically. Um, so, you know, it can have it can have a lot of meaning to a lot of people, but in general, it's about supporting growth of the planet now while not compromising future generations as well. So, Heidi, what have been some of the sort of issues historically when it comes to the sustainability of financial services? Because if you don't stop to think about it, you think, well, you know, how much harm can moving a bit of money, you know, from one bank to another, how much harm can that really do to the planet? Right? What, what are some of the issues facing the industry? Well, the crazy thing is that, you know, only 10% of investments actually go to sustainability, first of all. So so in finance industry, if you think about it, I, I always think that it's not about what the 10% does in terms of sustainability, but it's, it's that rest, it's that 90%. Like, what is all that going to and, and what is that doing to, to the world, to the planet? Um so there's there's a lot. I mean, there's an old banking infrastructure, first of all. There are ways um, people don't know where their savings are. People don't know where their pension is, where their um, where where all of their money is essentially being held. People people have no idea of, of these things. And you know, I don't actually have the current numbers, but I think something like ninety percent of people, oh sorry, ninety yeah, at least ninety percent of people are kind of investing in fossil fuels without knowing that. Uh, and I think that's 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 really crazy. So there are a lot of things and then of course if you look at anything that the tech industry then there's of course you know data center is how you transfer money and and everything else but i think the biggest problem really is what does money go towards at the moment and it is um everything that is not sustainable essentially in a, in a very large extent so i think that's that's the biggest biggest problem and it, yeah it, old structures old infrastructure um that we haven't really been able to fix so am I right to understand that the biggest impact is really what the industry is investing in? So it's what people's pension funds, what their insurance premiums, what their bank deposits, it's what that's being invested in, rather than necessarily the bank branches, the offices, you know, the insurance company offices. That's not the truly harmful bit. It's more the investment of their capital. Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I would say that it's not so much about thinking about, of course, there's these big you know, you can look at the big buildings and the carbon emissions of these buildings and how can they be run in better ways and what are the risks in that. And of course, that all exists as well. But I think if we look at finance as a whole, then where our money is being put right now to work, I think that is really the biggest thing that we should be focusing on, in, in my opinion. So Ken, has, is fintech helping with this? I mean, sometimes there's this sort of perception that, you know, fintechs are good and established financial service companies are bad, which is obviously hugely simplistic. Um, 
do fintech companies have faced these same kind of problems? Are fintechs really just part of the wider sustainability issue? Um, or are there reasons to think fintechs may be slightly different and that companies formed more recently are maybe slightly different in their practices to the sort of more established companies in the industry? Uh, good question. I mean, what we're doing is working with a lot of digital banks, right? So if you think about our, our current customer base, Monzo, Starling, Nikel in France, um, you go save in Singapore, et cetera. So clearly a lot of these new companies, new digital banks are focusing on ways to differentiate themselves from traditional banks. One of the ways they're seeking to do that is really to instill more trust, right? There's not to mention, you know, where's my money being held? And I'm talking from a retail banking consumer perspective for a moment, right? So what we've seen is a lot of these new digital banks uh, are certainly not beholden to a legacy way of doing things, both in terms of their IT systems, you know, they go directly to the cloud, but also a way of thinking about the user experience. So what we have found, what we have found to be the most successful is that enabling these new digital banks like Rebellion Pay, for example, in Spain, enable them to say, here's your spend. Here's where your spend is having an impact on which merchants adhere to certain values or certain criteria. It's just an initial baby step, if you will, right? You know, we're not talking about how to offset that or alternatives to be more green. But I think some of these digital banks are more keen and agile and are able to do this in a much quicker experience and a differentiated experience than let's say your more traditional banks. Everyone has plans to do this, right? But it's clear that, um, Starting afresh sometimes gives you an advantage, certainly a time-to-market advantage to roll something out sooner rather than later. Heidi, you made a really interesting point earlier about how many many consumers simply don't can't see where their money is going, they can't see where their savings are invested or their insurance premiums and so on. Do you think that if more companies sort of were doing what Ken is saying and actually showing their customers where their money is going, how much difference might that make? How important is that? Um, I think it would make a difference. I, I mean, we have in the past year, specifically here in Europe, we have seen a huge trend of, you know, consumers just understanding the power they have and being empowered to do something about it. So, you know, we are already seeing a, a lot more people asking for things like green pension and actually asking their pension providers that, hold on, where are you investing my pension? Like, I just thought it's this black box I put my money in and then I get it, get it back one day. But now I'm starting to realize that it, there's a lot more to it. And people are starting to demand change. And in the same way, you know, we are seeing a lot of things happening in, in the kind of climate tech space as, as well. And that also means that a lot of consumers are looking for, um, you know, greener banking services. And I agree that the, the kind of digital banks and the kind of challenger banks in the, in the past few years, they definitely have an easier uh, time um, adapting. But I also think that there are new, even more challenger banks, new kind of green banks and green savings platforms, etc. coming up that are looking at every single aspect of banking, doing everything in a sustainable way. Um, and, and they're very, you know, they have, a, they have a high growth at the moment. So, so very, very appealing to people. So definitely, I think it is making a difference. And, and I actually think that 
the education part here is so important because people truly don't know. And if you knew, um, you would actually do more and then you would, why not have a kind of green mortgage and green pension and, and a green savings platform if you can. Sarah, I know you've uh, spent time looking at climate fintechs and so on. What are climate fintechs, you know, as Heidi mentioned, and, and what difference are they making or trying to make? So I think, you know, they're making things easier for people to be more sustainable. So you've got various different fintechs out there that are working in various different areas. So, you know, you've got circular economies, impact investing, lots of in investment areas that are making, allowing people to invest in areas that are aligned with their ethics so much easier. So, you know, you had Circa 500, Climate, all of these fintechs came about and they're really working towards making it easier for people. But like Heidi said, there there was this almost lack of education and like lack of impact to show people what exactly they're truly doing and where the impact is truly having benefit. So people are interested, but it's not like a circular model where, you know, it hasn't been fully realised yet where the first step is taken on board, where people are given the information and tools to do better, but people still want more info information. The customers still want to know where their investments are going and what impact is being, what the impact is being done. And that's not being fully realised yet. So that's like the next step that fintechs can do to help customers see the true impact that they're having on the environment as well. And that will just be like a continuous circle there where people get more engaged and more more. Uh, encouraged to carry on investing in those areas and carry on doing good, basically. And, and Ken, what about the um, all the other sort of established financial services companies? Because it was great to hear you talking about some of the digital banks that you're working with and how they're embracing this. What about some of the other companies you've tried to have conversations with? Are you, you, you getting doors shut in your face or are people very welcoming but just not able to act? Well, uh, let, let's just forget about financial services for a moment, right? Because I think there's also... Uh, experiences that you can glean from other places. For example, with Google, we've implemented something called eco-routing. So if I'm going to go from point A to point B, say in my car, Google will now calculate, say, this may be the fastest route, but this is the greenest route. And the greenest route may include uh, uh, fewer stop, you know, traffic signs, so stop and going, you're more continual, maybe it's a different slope as in sort of an incline or a degrade. So this is a way to actually get people to start routing their business, you know, routing things around. It could be uh, uh, trucks delivering things. It could be people getting from A to B. And what we're seeing is there's a real demand for some of these services among a younger generation. One of the problems we're going to have here is that, you know, if someone wants to go on a travel and they're going to take an airplane, since we, lock, we work with Ryanair, BA, et cetera, there's an inherent understanding that air travel just isn't the greenest thing you can do. I think, I think there's no education required there, right? People sort of get that. So the question is, okay, once I land in that destination, how do I get around and be as green as possible? So people are willing to sort of offset, say, an air travel, as long as they, you know, there's a way they can pay for a ticket. But then when they're in that destination, I want to go around public transport, cycling, walking, etc. So how can we learn from those experiences in the travel sector and bring them into financial services? The one thing I would mention is that there's also a generation here, sort of, a, I don't want to say generation gap, but if you think of a, I'm going to mispronounce her last name, is it Greta Thornburg, the, the young teenager up in Sweden who everyone sort of refers to? You know, that generation, what we've seen in terms of the need or the requirement for sustainable 
in everything they do, that generation, it really matters. Unfortunately, that's not a generation that thinks about pensions. That's not a generation that thinks about savings, right? So you have a younger generation that's really keen to understand the impact that they're doing on the day-to-day. And I think we have to nail that generation to help them do offsetting and make greener choices. And that will eventually trickle down to the broader, you know, uh, age groups uh, later on. So that's something that we've seen time and time again in the travel and transportation sector. I love those. I love those points, Ken, about learning from other industries and about the different attitudes of, of different generations of uh, customers. Okay, so let's focus on some of the biggest challenges facing the financial services industry around sustainability. And I'm going to start with a, a one to ten question, and I want the three of you to give me an answer on a scale from one to ten. How seriously do you think the financial services industry as a whole is taking the issue of sustainability right now? And I will go in alphabetical order. So Heidi first. Um, four, maybe? Ken? I think they're doing the necessary minimal steps. So I'd say four or three. And Sarah? I was going to go for minus 10. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say I would join you at about one or two. I don't think the industry is taking it anything like seriously enough. But okay, so let's talk about what's stopping the industry taking this more seriously. I mean, if we destroy the planet, that's it, right? Game over. Heidi, why why isn't this taken more seriously? Why, why did you have to set up your own investment firm because other investment firms aren't doing this? Why aren't people taking this more seriously? Um, I mean, there's a shift changing right now, which is really interesting. And maybe we'll see uh, something positive in the future. But I can just tell you that when we started fundraising, which was about four years ago now, everyone was looking at this as philanthropy. And they were like, oh, that's nice that you're doing this. It's nice that you care, but you can't make any money in climate. And, and you know, it's it's something that, you know, of course, we've been telling people that, of course, this is going to be the biggest investment sector in the future. And it, it has to be because, you know, governments have all these net zero goals. We have all these corporates saying they're going to, um, you know, go, go net zero by 2030, 2050. They have no idea how to do that. There are all these regulations coming in at the same time. And as, as we spoke about earlier, there's a consumer awareness driving this as well. So for us, it was very clear this is going to be become big. But, you know, no one, no one, really believe that and they kind of said that oh it's it's a nice thing to do it's a good thing to do but but like i said it is now changing saying that like uh, at the moment climate tech is one of the hottest investment areas in vc uh period it's a uh, climate tech and fintech uh, essentially are the kind of hottest growing areas right now so i do think that this is changing and and that change is going to be seen by the financial industry now of course the financial industry is going to have to do things just due to regulation um, and the regulations are always a little bit behind, which means that it's slow uh, and they're only doing what's necessary to kind of avoid um, any big kind of punishments or avoid any big scandals. Um, but at the same time, I do think that people are starting to see opportunity in this, but it is very, very frustrating. Um, just a- another quick story is that, you know, a lot of people even investing in our funds or our LPs who are investors in, in a VC fund, a lot of them are saying, oh, we're setting up these, we're setting up these big vehicles to do 10% of our investment into sustainability. And we'd love to talk to you to, because 10% of all of our assets under management, all of our trillions of assets under management are now going to go into sustainability. It's such a great step. And I'm always wondering, 
But what about the other 90? Like, what are you literally doing with that money? Like, how can you see that as such a huge step? But before we only did two and now we do 10. So yeah, it's, it's slow. It's, it's, it's slow, but there's still something happening. So I'm still going to be happy about that. Doesn't sound like a four out of 10 answer to me though. That sounds like a one out of 10 answer. However, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. They're still our investors. Can Ken, you, you, you work in a very different part of the industry to Heidi, but your experiences and your perspectives similar to hers? Um, I think there's a couple. I would sort of put in different buckets, if you will. I think there's a handful of new banks, as I talked about earlier, that are really targeting the, the sort of, you know, that generation of people that are, want to be incredibly aware, that want to do some good. And there's a handful of those banks out there, you know, uh, Helios in France, Tomorrow in Germany, uh, you know, a couple more. The problem is right now, it's difficult to create a digital bank that's, you know, when I mean sustainable, I mean, will be around in a few years sustainable, okay? So, mm -hmm. you know, the problem is when, when, it, when the push comes to shove, a lot of these banks really, really are struggling to uh, grab a user base, come up with a valuable proposition, and then, you know, scale, especially as VC money is getting more difficult to obtain these days. Right, you know, just as a macroeconomic condition. So I think those companies are actually great, you know, pace setters. This is what's possible. This is the user behavior. You know, I spent a lot of time um, previously in a company called Yahoo, and if you guys remember them, right? And before that, believe it or not, Netscape. And so what I found is that changing consumer behavior is really hard. And so, again, not focusing on the investments and the pensions and all the broader things that Heidi's been talking about. I'm just focusing on the consumer experiences here. You know, a lot of people just don't look to their banks to sort of get factual, trustworthy information in general, much less, you know, how to impact the climate in a more positive way. So it's an uphill battle. The banks can uh, take a step and do that. But a lot of people, uh, you know, you have pockets of people in these large organizations that are very keen on doing this, but they have a lot of internal resistance to really do this. So it's, it's probably more of a, those twofold. Understanding a change in consumer behavior, if you're at a bank, you've never done that, right? You're just, you know, helping people facilitate their transactions, right? So understanding how to change consumer behavior is tricky. And the second thing is work, working through these large organizations, the more traditional banks, where there may be some, you know, goodwill and intent, but there's a lot of hoops to go through and risk aversion built into these large organizations to actually execute. So it's my view on this is, um, unfortunately, it'll take time, which is what the, you know, you could argue the world doesn't have right now. Yeah, indeed. I love that point about changing customer behavior and how, how, how difficult that is. But I want to circle back on a different, a slightly different point. Just, uh, sorry. But, but if I can, just to mm. chip in, think we've known for years that smoking causes cancer, right? But until our experience is that, until it's a social norm, that's not acceptable to do that. And you start removing ashtrays and you can only smoke, you know, inside or not outside or have designated smoking areas, right? For many, many years, people knew that smoking was bad for them. I don't think you need a lot of education, but getting people to stop smoke is tricky, right? You know, and so that's kind of how I see this is that to get consumers to understand their spend at this restaurant or that hotel or that flight, 
is not necessarily the greenest way they can be spending their money. You have to give them a, a better alternative, but you also have to build this social normalization that you're greener than your cohorts, right? Or you get badges for being greener. It's not necessarily a monetary reward. It's a social norm thing, in my opinion. Sarah, can I, I want to bring you in on this point because you, you gave the industry minus 10 out of 10. Um, <laughs> Heidi made the point about um, philanthropy and, and, and some companies seeing it as philanthropy. I think another challenge has been this point that some companies have seen it as marketing and, and focused on sort of greenwashing. And Ken's driving at one of the core problems here is there's a lot of pressure on customers to change their behavior, which needs to happen, but it's not just customers, right? How damaging is some of the sort of greenwashing um, and the lack of activity from the industry to start addressing some of these points that Ken is making? Yeah, I mean, so I remember, I think it was earlier, well, end of last year, where HSBC, uh, they had a social media campaign where they were talking about how they wanted to be greener. And they got lambasted on social media. They were like, why are you talking about this? This isn't your place to talk about this. You know, customers are very aware of the history of big banks. You know, big banks didn't make their money investing in kelp farms. They made their money in various different ways that didn't support the environment. So people, customers are fully aware of the fact that larger organizations need to do better. And if companies don't do it correctly, it ruins their reputation even further. So, you know, greenwashing, giving people false information, not hitting targets, not being truthful, not having transparent data, it puts customers off. You know, customers are clever. They have all the information at their fingertips. They will they will put you down publicly on social media. Companies need to be take a step back and realize what their place is. And I would potentially say that maybe a few larger incumbents, it's not their place really to be green. They need to really take a step back and think whether, you know, it's good for them to be green, but take a step back and think whether how that will go down with their customer base. Is that really going to go down? Have a look at their history. Is that really what they're known for? You know, certain, certain banks in uh, Europe, of course, smaller banks, but you know, HSBC just got just got put down for it. So take a step back, really think if it aligns with who you are as a company. Obviously, do all of these things, but don't put it front and center. You know, be clever about it. Um, but I went to a conference uh, at the end of last year where we also learned about two other terms called green wishing and green hushing, which I thought was great. So green wishing was when companies set targets and maybe com- a country so they never never uh, ever intend to meet. They just set it for you know a publicity stunt. And then there's green hushing where companies hide and just do nothing and hope that no one notices. You know, there's there's loads of elements that are ruining a company's trust of customers. And again, customers are clever. They know what's going on. So you can't lie to them, basically. So so what should big companies do? I, I think I'm going to throw this one to you, Heidi. It's an impossible question. But you know, let's take a big company like BlackRock that tried to make a couple of moves in the right direction. Now we can argue about whether that was enough, et cetera, et cetera. But then found itself under attack from certain lawmakers getting sort of pulled into US politics for in perspective of some people going too far, you know, sort of climate change deniers sort of attacking BlackRock. Um, are, are big financial firms caught between a rock and a hard place here? Or is it just no, they just need to do more? What's your what's your view? Honestly, I think that they just need to do more and it's just not enough. I, I think people are calling them out because and I mean, greenwashing is, is a 
you know, it's, it's being called out, uh, whether you're greenwashing or wishing or hushing, I think. Uh, and I think that's a great thing. Um, I think we do need to call it out and they do need to do more. As mentioned, they have such a huge responsibility in terms of where we're going, in terms of what they can do to start reversing climate change, for example. Uh, the amount of assets that they're managing are enormous. So with that comes enormous responsibility. So people have high expectations on them and they do need to kind of lead the way there. They have the money to put their money where their mouth is at essentially um and i think uh, so i think it's i think it's extremely important that we keep talking about this and i also think that we're getting better technologies to try to actually see more transparency and trying to figure out what's working what's not working trying to figure out um using satellite imagery to check how projects are actually doing how green bonds are are doing etc so i think you know tech is catching up people are smart we have access to a lot of information you just have to do the work. Fantastic. Okay, uh, we're going to just take a quick pause here and we will be back very shortly. Here at 11FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS. That's why we created our 11FS Explore series, weekly videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around, such as... On ramping. Buy now, pay later. The cost of living. ESG. Stable points. Telematics insurance. And inclusive design. Search 11FS Explores on YouTube now. Okay, let's now move on and look at how things might change in fintech um, and how we might improve sustainability in the future. And I think there's three groups we need to be thinking about. We need to be thinking about customers or consumers. We need to be thinking about companies, but we also need to be thinking about regulators. So... Ken, let's let's start with you. you. You made a really good point about how you know there needs to be a little bit of a you know a big a big change in social attitudes where people um, start thinking about destroying the climate in the same way that people gradually start to think about smoking destroying themselves. How does the industry drive that shift? Is that something that has to come from society? Is that just a rich world luxury, or is it something that financial services companies can educate their customers about? Well, I think there's an initial point, which is to educate people is where you're spending, you know, if you think of your your weekly spend, you know, if you think about the supermarkets you go to, if you think about the transportation used to get around, I think there needs to be an initial, hey, what's the impact on that? And what does good look like? You know, there's no definition of what normal is or what good is for the average consumer out there. And if you start talking in terminologies like you're generating so many kilograms of CO2, that doesn't mean anything to anyone, right? You know, it would be the equivalent of saying, you know, I've had a really wonderful breakfast. It was so many calories. No, people need to know sort of what that means on the day-to-day basis. So I think the beginning with, you have to understand, you have to come up with, this is what good looks like. These are where your current spending patterns are. And these are the merchants that you're spending money on that are you know, ESG compliant and et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole need to have a clear, coherent, credible and trustworthy framework for the average consumers. So if I went to supermarket A or supermarket B, how do I know that A is a better supermarket than B? What source of information do I have that's credible? You know, if you think about newspapers today, you could argue in many countries, depending on your political orientation, you'll read a certain newspaper that aligns with your views, right? And, you know, I don't know if we're going to have 
to do something similar. You know, if you're on a climate denier or change denier, this is sort of the schemes that you adhere to. If you're, you know, uh, a big believer that you need to do something immediately, these are the schemes you believe to. But there's a lot of work for the average consumer out there to get their head around to understand what does good look like and who do I believe. It's, it's a tricky one. Yeah, it is a super tricky one. Thank you. Heidi, what about the companies themselves? We talked a bit about banks, but I think if we, and investment firms, I think it's worth taking a moment to think about insurance companies, because I think many of the leading insurance companies have realized, hang on a minute, we've been funding changes to the climate that are now coming back to hit us in terms of more hurricanes, more climate events, and so on, that are resulting in bigger catastrophic losses. Um, what do you think needs to happen for more financial services companies to say, no, we're not going to put 10% of our investments into sustainable um, investments, we're going to put 100%. What needs to happen? And will that happen anything like fast enough? Um, I mean, honestly, there's, they, they will start seeing that, I think, also with some new technologies. I mean, for example, if we look at climate risk technologies, we have a lot of tech now that will tell you how your assets are at risk. And, and you will see the fact that, well, you know, 20% of your portfolio will be underwater uh, in, in the next 10 years, or, you know, 10% of, of the assets here or the, you know, the company people that you get in mortgages to will be defaulting because um, essentially their properties uh, will uh, be hit by hurricanes, for example. Uh, we have a lot of tech kind of happening now. So I think people are going to have to start moving be because of fear. That's one way uh, of, of getting people interested. And I think just showing people um, the reality on the ground and actually showing people what's happening because this is impacting everyone. And of course, it's impacting all the asset managers as well. They just you know, choose to close their eyes and choose not to look at it at the moment. So I think, you know, whether it's a corporation looking at um, where their warehouses are, where they should be expanding, what infrastructure they have, or whether it is, you know, big asset managers um, looking at, at whatever assets they have, I, I, they're all going to be impacted by climate change. And and just understanding that the huge change is coming already in three, five to 10 years. Thank you. Um, Sarah, let's talk about the last group that we haven't really touched on yet is, is, is regulators. So, you know, what do we need to see from regulators, do you think, over the next few years, or, or, or frankly, now? And how do they mitigate against the danger that as you tighten up regulations in some countries, let's say, you know, lots of European countries tighten up their regulations, how do they avoid the problem that you end up sort of offshoring some of the pollution and the polluting industries to countries with looser regulations and then okay you might potentially reduce carbon emissions in canada and europe but then you just increase carbon emissions in i don't know mexico or iran or wherever what what do regulators need to do and how do they take a global view on that yeah i mean we saw that happen a lot with recycling um, when things just got shipped to other countries where the regulation was a lot weaker and it's probably it's happened i think quite a lot in, in carbon um, markets as well so obviously there's a risk for that but i guess that's where in uh, conferences like cop 27 cop 28 will come in to make sure there's an overarching holistic overview and i mean i always think back to covid for this how many how many different industries how many different countries came together to make, make an overarching impact to benefit everyone you know we've, we've proved that people can come together to give that holistic viewpoint to benefit everyone more or less you know with the world health organization countries came together to make sure certain countries who weren't able to get in um injections were able to get some there is that willpower there but again it needs to be utilized into a more positive way and we've proved that we can do it and i think you know 
With climate change especially, so with COVID, the risk was today. With climate change, the risk was always in the future. But that future is now, you know, Pakistan, was, a third of Pakistan was under underwater this, just this year. The risk is becoming much, much more present and it's, become, it's entered the Western world. So I think there's going to be an increased level of activity where people come together more, not necessarily at the speed that needs to be done. So, you know, we saw in COP27, there's going to be re repatriations in climate financing with the poorer industries and poorer countries. We're going to get some money back. That, so that movement's happening to make sure that the people at the, the bottom level are being protected, but we need to make sure that continues to happen. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, oh, there's so many questions I want to <laughs> I want to discover. We're running out of time. Ken, I think one really interesting one here is, is maybe, I don't know, this, is, this may be a bit unfair, but is blockchain potentially part of a solution here? I mean, we sometimes look at Bitcoin and say, oh my God, you know, it's, it's creating all this this damage because of the ridiculous costs of mining it. But as the, as the blockchain industry more widely sort of addresses that part of it, could blockchain sort of carbon markets and things, could, could that become part of a solution, particularly tied into, you know, your, your points about, you know, changing customers' perceptions and helping people understand the individual damage that we're all creating? Is that, is that a viable future? I mean, if you think about it, I was walking to work today, and as I walked by, I saw a very large, you know, one of those security vans with bodyguards picking up cash, right? <laughs> so if you think about how much cash generates, you know, moving it, printing it out, moving it around, it is certainly not good for the environment, right? So, you know, any step towards, I'll just use the general digital secure ways instead of moving literally wads of dead trees around, right, through diesel engines in large armored vehicles, there has to be a better way to do this, right? And not to mention that cash is difficult for the governments to Tax, you know, if people are paying in cash, which is in many parts of the world, a very standard practice still, that makes it more difficult for the government to, uh, you know, tap into its justifiable tax revenues and also fund the, the regulators. So if you really think about it, uh, it, I'm not an expert in blockchain, but there's got to be a better way to do it than cash, put it that way. I think that's why we saw uh, governments like the Indian government trying to reduce cash, um, not for sustainability reasons, but for, 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 for tax reasons. Okay, well, there's dozens of things we could dig into here around, you know, the effect on different markets around the world, the equity of, of uh, different economies and so on. Um, but we're out of time. So uh, unfortunately, that's going to wrap up today's discussion. Thank you all so much for joining me. Um, where can people find out more about you and your companies? And let's start with you, Ken. Well, we're always available uh, on snowdropsolutions.co.uk as our website, or on LinkedIn, Snowdrop Solutions. Uh, we will be talking at a number of events uh, paired up with Google, or Google Maps specifically, over the next couple of months to talk about financial services and sustainability. So uh, uh, don't hesitate to reach out on the website, and uh, we could set up something uh, to meet you soon or any questions you have. Thank you. And Sarah. Sarah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just type in Sarah Habib 11FS and I will pop up. And Heidi. You can find us on paleblue.vc and you can read all about us and our portfolio on there. So it's paleblue.vc and it's an actual dot and not spelled out. And you can find me 
Benjamin Ensor at 11fs.com or on LinkedIn. So thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you like what you've heard, uh, please subscribe to our podcast. Uh, don't forget to send us some questions, give us a review, um, help us know what you'd like to hear about in the future. If you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, search for 11fs or Fintech Insider, or email us at podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you all so much and goodbye.